0: Welcome to Life Up Education TV.
1: Hey, Nana. How are hey, you? I'm
0: doing good. Well, thank you very much for coming today. So I, I know that you have a very interesting life story, right? So can you tell us, you know, your background and what you do currently?
1: Yeah, so um, growing up, I I'm from... Uh, Western Maryland so outside of like Baltimore DC very rural area my neighbors were like cows so not not super exciting um, but it's really pretty out there and I just remember growing up always creating always thinking of new ideas and for that I was kind of like a black sheep Um, but I it didn't bother me a whole lot um, until I started you know being uh, coined as different for my ideas so I I remember, like, wanting to to get out and to to travel as much as I could, like, as soon as I left the house, so 18. um, I ended up going to Drexel University for mechanical engineering, and then while I was there, I also studied business. Um, It was a five-year program. I ended up moving to Singapore, working in the robotics industry, which was, like, Singapore alone was like a very life-changing uh, experience, not just the corporate experience, but the culture and um, the experiences that I had while I was there. After that, I um, I came back to university and I was living out of my car for three months, which I'll go into that later, um, and, and why I did that. And then after those three months, I... Uh, I went abroad. I studied in Berlin for a little while. And then after that, I studied in London and then I left London and I came back to, uh, well, I moved to New York city and I worked in fashion. Um, But I was on like, I was more on the corporate side, like supply chain back end of everything. So uh, like I was, I was seeing how like a big international corporation was working and then I had to go back and finish school. So I had 15 months straight through. Uh, So now, uh, well, I I finished university 2019, uh, summer of 2019. I was looking for jobs um, everywhere between like business development, corporate development. I ended up changing to finance after I moved back from New York because I was so interested in in, um, how finances affected the way business moved and the way they made decisions and things like that. So I was looking for jobs in both business development and finance. Um, Couldn't find anything. Spent like a year – just in isolation alone. I went to Japan for a little while Mm -hmm. with some friends, which was incredible. Um, And then now I'm out here in LA. Uh, I just published a book a month ago, uh, really like diving deep into my story, documenting everything. And um, I'm working in uh, private markets in finance. So that's all I'm gonna say for now because we have a lot coming on this front.
0: How, like, so, it sounds like you've uh, been to different industries, right? Like how I guess, how were you able to mm, like try different things without like questioning yourself, like being like all over, basically, if that makes sense? Because I think.
1: Yeah. um, Go ahead. Hold secretly. Yeah. So uh, for me, I was always interested in a, bunch of different subjects growing up so if if there is is, in culture people like to coin um or they they like to call you different things so like for example recently publishing a book people like oh you're an author now Mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah i'm an author but that's i guess i am because i published a book but i'm not really a traditional author and people love to classify things it's um it's it's in our nature like psychologically we we love to classify things because it makes things easier um, to objectify so growing up I was um, always interested in a bunch of different things and I, I think more than anything I'm an artist so I was always looking at artistic solutions for any problems I wasn't seeing issues so much as I was seeing solutions so when I but, well, there was an exp- there was a work experience I had before going into robotics, which was in uh, real estate, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it set me up for business development in robotics. So it was a completely new experience. But what I was doing while I was there, I was like, okay, what are some of the underlying strengths that I have that I can use? in this position, even if it is new, even if it doesn't feel comfortable whatsoever. And there was a huge learning curve. Me and my boss, we butted heads a lot, but we communicated through those issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that has really been a key for me in understanding like you can, it, it is very scary when you're moving into into new fields and, and you're not always gonna know anything, everything. But when you step into those fields, um, you have to be aware of that, and you have to be willing to communicate and ask questions. And I think corporate culture and performance culture, especially within the United States, but I would say performance. I mean, even in like corporate culture in, in Japan, um, we're basing what we do, we're we're basing our identity off of what we do. So we're so afraid to fail at anything, and people actually aren't looking for that perfection. They're looking for maybe a failure and then a better solution. Because if you're never failing, you're never coming up with better solutions.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, that made me another question. Like, you have a, such a attitude about life where you're very easygoing, um, right? But, like, yeah. What makes you say no? What does it take you to say no?
1: Um... So one thing that I didn't learn until later was that there definitely are times and seasons for things. So part of the reason I lived out of my car after I was, you know, living like a trust fund kid in Singapore was because I ran out of money and I was trying to build an alternative energy business at the time. And intuitively, I knew it wasn't like, I was headed down a road where it was a lot of hard work, and, like, I had, I had um, the science to back my work, mm-hmm. and I had connections, but internally, I wasn't ready to shoulder the weight of, of something of that scale. But I kept moving forward, and I kept, like, um, I guess, uh, starving myself of gratification, because I thought that that was, you know, what you did if you wanted to be successful. And I dug myself into this hole where I couldn't really climb out. And um, I don't know, like recognizing it, it took me a while after to recognize that there's a right place and a right time for everything. And you can be working towards something without working to get something. Um, there, there definitely is a difference, and it's just you. You start to understand what that is after you spend time in your craft, mm-hmm. like that, that, that endurance, that, that waiting as you're waiting to see the results. But you're more focused on, you know, little victories are a big thing, and character is a huge thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you disappointed though when you noticed that? Extremely. Extremely. I see. Like how? Did you yeah.
1: Um, it was a lot of quiet time, um, for the first time in my life, um, spirituality and emotional health became extremely important to me. I was always really into self-help because I I figured if, you know, growing up, my mom was a psychotherapist, so I, I understood the value of paying attention to your inner world. I didn't, I don't think I really, uh, too much acknowledged like that we're human beings are intellectual emotional and spiritual and i wasn't really paying attention to my spiritual life whatsoever mm-hmm. so it was getting quiet and figuring out like who god was and and spending time with with god and that was way different for me because in my mind every day something was going on and i wasn't progressing i was like there's no point to be spending time with god mm-hmm. Because that's not going to help me achieve my dreams. That's not going to help me get ahead in life. Like, I'm not doing anything, but actually I was learning a lot of really important lessons because I was looking for accomplishments and accolades, and that was very performance-oriented, like very performance-identity-based. I wasn't looking at my own character, and I didn't realize that if I didn't have the character to sustain what I was building, I wouldn't be able to manage that.
0: It's a very big learning. I, I'm also facing the same thing, so I can very much resonate with everything you said. So uh, that actually leads to my next question, which we just talked about rejection in terms of you rejecting yourself, right? Like you coming to the point where you realizing, uh, you realize that, well, maybe this thing I'm working on maybe is not for me, right? And that's a one form of rejection to, toward your dream. Yeah. So I want to talk about rejection a little bit. Um, how, do you, how can you keep your sense of self-love and sen- sense of uh, self-worth when you, ha- when you have to take rejections from either internally or outside of the world?
1: That's a really tough one um, because I think, so we all struggle with different things, but the, one of the underlying issues that we struggle with is that we want to be loved and we want to be accepted. But that can look a lot of different ways. So we can identify the root, but we also have to take a look into what's going on in our own life and like what we struggle with. So for me, um, I and I actually just had a, a podcast um, the other day where somebody asked me, uh, like, what the biggest fear in my life was, and I said, for me, it was the fear of rejection. But that was tied to the fear of failure. I thought it was the fear of failure. Mm-hmm but it was really, I didn't want to fail because I didn't want to be rejected. So I figured out a way growing up almost like a survival mechanism where if I was interested in something, I would go in private and I would become masterful at it and I wouldn't bring it out in front of people until I was already a master. Mm -hmm. So then people would be like, Oh wow. Because I was looking for that acceptance. Um, So I think it's going to look a little bit different for everyone Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, accomplishing a bunch of different things and becoming extremely eccentric and having all of these different accolades where I could like boast, like subtly, like humbly boast about myself, like I was never like outright about it. I tried to pretend like I was humble and then I would talk about it, but I love talking about myself, but I wasn't like life wasn't getting any richer. It just felt more and more hollow. And I was spending all of this time and I was like, why am I spending all this time doing these things? Because it's not actually for me. It's like I'm doing these things. I'm interested in these these topics, of course, but it's almost like I'm putting in the work so that I can tell other people to get them to affirm me and accept me. And um, I remember really early on, like, uh, like thinking about the difference between acceptance and tolerance versus celebration. Mm -hmm. And I began to change friend groups based on that because I was interested in being celebrated as a friend, as most people would, you know, um, rather than being tolerated or accepted. But I was thinking about these things when I like that first thought came into my mind when I was like in the fifth or sixth grade so I was like 11 or 12 at the time and a lot of people are thinking about these these things when they get into university they're 18 19 20 21 when they go out into the real world they're like oh you know my coworkers actually aren't my friends they're not really interested in me we just do the same things so when I began to figure out that accolades and my accomplishments uh, weren't actually helping me overcome my fear of rejection it was getting quiet and and it was that quiet time it was that time alone it was spending time figuring out who i was and getting to know who i was and that time really sucked because in the moment it was like oh i don't have any friends oh i'm not close to anyone like i don't feel like i'm actually connecting with anyone mm-hmm. but that time alone is so important, regardless of how long the season is, because when you're not around many other people, you're actually getting to figure out who you are, and it's unstained by the views of other people. So that when you do come back into friendships and relationships, society, you know who you are. And that is powerful to a lot of people because you know even moving out here to LA two months ago, Everyone has an idea for how I should live my life, and when I don't bend to the way of culture, people are like, who is this person? Mm -hmm. Because it's not normal. People aren't used to that. People are used to like, you know, we have our morals, we have our codes, we have our values, but then after time, we get worn down. Because it's just like culture is constantly washing over us. Idea, other people's idea of how we should live our life is constantly washing over us. So that time alone, even though it was brutal, was honestly extremely helpful. Because now I can go out in a culture like L.A. that's constantly pushing its way on me. And I'm okay to continue living I see. As, as who I really am. Yeah,
0: It's very powerful. Like... But do you still have that, um, I guess, doubts though, sometimes? Maybe, like, you know, for example, let's say you're trying to get funding from someone or let's say you're trying to build a business partnership with someone else and then maybe that person, for their own reason, rejects you for your offer. Like, what's the conversation you have in your head?
1: Yeah, so doubts definitely, it's like, you know, it's a daily battle and we don't always get to pick Our thoughts Um, they kind of just come to us but we get to choose what we meditate on and um, so I kind of want to tie this in because this is extremely popular in in pop culture especially in LA is the the concept of manifestation like where you make things happen for yourself Mm -hmm. not really but it's kind of the right idea what does manifestation take it takes a belief that something is going to work out even though it's not here yet right so Faith is always honored, whichever way you're putting it. So um, like to have an anticipation, a hopeful expectation of something is putting faith into a good outcome. But having doubts, having fears, having faith in something that's not gonna be a good outcome is partnering with fear. So I really have to pick and choose what thoughts am I meditating on? Uh, What am I aligning myself with? Because there there are doubts every day.
0: Mm Oh, that's that's very beautiful you said. Yeah, that's very powerful. So I'm going to move on to my third question, which actually it kind of overlaps with what we just talked about. Um, the third question is, so, you know, you told, you shared with me that you at, at one point had to live in your car, right? Like, can you tell me a bit yeah. more about that? Why that happened and then what was going on in your head?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I was really committed. Sorry, I have to move. Um, I'm in a public no, building. No,
0: worries. So, so I, I'm going to also give you a little bit more context to why this question is so important, especially for young entrepreneurs. Because, you know, like entrepreneurship is very uh, romanticized right now with the climate of everything that's going on. And, yeah, But, I mean, entrepreneurship really sucks just as much as everything else, right? So it's really comes yeah, to your yeah. own self-awareness, what you really want. And yeah. especially, you know, it's kind of hard when we are bashed this culture of, you know, like people pretending like they already figured out everything. And especially, you know, looking around the people um, around the same age, you know, having the house, like building family, you know, having car, whatever, whatever that we are supposed to have at this age, like it's very yeah. discouraging, right? Like it also definitely triggers us to send a different message to us saying like, oh, you
1: know,
0: I'm not a step. like I'm choosing because I'm choosing different paths than everyone else where people like people who chose easier paths are figuring everything out. And over here, like I look like stupid person who's just choosing to work 24 seven for no money. And you know what I mean? So, I mean, there's the a yeah. time where, uh, especially when you're a young entrepreneur with a wrong idea coming into entrepreneurship, you know, these moments would hit you. Right. And then really yeah, make you notice that, wow, like entrepreneurship is not necessarily about this glamorous lifestyle that I thought it was going to be about. So yeah, uh, even if you have the right kind of mindset where you actually know what you want to do and entrepreneurship is a one pass that you chose, um, to make your dream to make your actual dream come true. Like these times are hard still, right? Like we oh, yeah. nobody wants to think yeah. that we're stupid. Nobody wants to think that we're less than anyone else, right? So right. Given this context, I I just found it very humbling and also very like inspirational that you actually went through that process where you know, you were humbly, you humbly chose to live in a car and, you know, doing the grind, like actual grind that you need to do into um, yeah. your dream. Like, cause everybody wants, everybody wants to skip that phase. Right. So can you kind of tell me a little bit more of that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I would say at the time, um, I was kind of seduced by that, uh, the lie of entrepreneurship. I was still, but I was still figuring it out. Um, But I was also, you know, like I'm a very, uh, I don't know if I'm as stubborn as I used to be. Um, I'm very set in my ways for sure. But before I was really stubborn and I think I was just listening too much Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and stuff like that. Like Gary Vee, you just, you just, you just do it and it's going to happen. And I was fully committed to that, that if I like, I was, I guess I was like pursuing that uh, manifestation Theory that, like, if I put it out there in the universe and put it out there in the energy, and, and I worked really hard, things were just going to come together. I was stupid, <laughs> like, just plain and simple. So I had uh, just over three grand saved up from from working, and I knew I was only going to be in the states for three months. And I was like, I can live out of my car. Like, uh, I'll figure out a place to stay with someone. I'm sure, you know, like my. Uh, my the, the prototype for my technology is is tangible now, and i 'm um, sure somebody will like <clears throat> invest in 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 the company or equity because we had already had investment offers, and um, I turned the first big one down because I was too scared that was it was just plain and simple I was just too scared i didn 't know <clears throat> what it was going to look like as a twenty year old to take on a large sum of money and then be personally responsible for that. So when I was living out of my car, it was kind of just like, I committed to this. I said I was going to do this. Now I'm going to stick through it. And that was kind of the way I was raised. Like I remember being young, um, like even if I had, even if I felt really sick, my mom would make me go to school. Like unless I was throwing up, I was fine. So I learned early on that nothing was too difficult. Even if it felt like I was really suffering, I needed to stick through that and I needed to see it through. And, um, when I, when I lived in Singapore, I started to recognize the value of, um, committing to things mm-hmm. because it's so, uh, it's so easy to say you're going to do something and then not follow through or even show up and do it and just not be there, mm-hmm. not invest your energy there. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to see this through, Uh, one of my best friends at the time was like, dude, you can stay at my place. You can sleep sleep in my bed, whatever. Like you're, you know, like we're in this together. And I was like, no, like I appreciate it, but I made this decision. I have to see it through now. Things are going to be okay. And um, a kind of two week anticipation, two week max anticipation of like sleeping out of my car turned into three months. And I was eating like one meal a day, and it. Um, my schedule had to be like, perfect, or things would would go completely wrong. Like I had to wake up at the, exactly the same time and go to a bed at exactly the same time, um, go take a shower at the gym, go work out, make sure everything was done like without flaw. And over the course of 12 weeks, that wore me down. Like I thought I was like, okay, I'm capable of doing this, and I realized that. I thought a lot higher of myself than was actually true and I really felt kind of like dejected and uh, I, I guess that's the right word like an outcast from society like people were like oh like what's going on because I wasn't really around people were like what's going on with you and I was like oh you know just like laying low they were like where are you living now and I'm like um yeah, I'm staying out of my car and they're like no 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 like well I'll give you a place to stay None of those people on the nights where it was too hot to sleep in my car, none of those people who offered a place actually went, like, fulfilled their word. So I was kind of in this place where I was like, maybe I'm not actually as great as I think I am. Maybe I'm not as valuable as I think I am. And um, that was a really tough place to be because I was still holding on. The only thing I was holding on to was the success of the company because it was my idea, it was tied to me. So I was like, if the company succeeds, it means I succeed. Um, and if people accept the company, people accept me. It was kind of like that type of thinking. And I found out when I was in uh, London, I walked into an investor's office uh, for a meeting with him and he was on the other side of the world. And I was like, this is it, it's over, Like I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore, I'm out of money. My business partner bailed on me. Like this is, I knew that it was coming to this end and I just didn't want to accept that. And I should have got out months ago. And, um, that's when it really, that's when I really had to like get alone and figure out what was going on because I had no, I felt like I had no purpose. And if you've ever been there for, for, for you or anyone watching uh, like any of our audience who's watching has ever been in life without purpose, there is nothing that can satisfy or make that pain go away it is the most numbing terrible feeling in the world because you're you're living out your days questioning what to do with your days um, and anything that you do it's kind of just like this isn't what I was made to do and you know it intuitively and it's kind of tormenting um, so that was the experience of living in my car and I think that, like, shot me to the bottom. Um, it, it kind of, like, humbled me out really fast, mm-hmm. which was good, and I needed that.
0: So I guess I came up with two following up questions uh, given your story. The first thing is, so you you earlier mentioned about, like, how, um, how you were, I don't know, you said it was stupid of you that you thought, you know, if you just, like, Put out the energy and working really hard—it's gonna happen, right? Like, why, why did you say it was not the right way to go? So,
1: no. Um. So, we love to hear the stories of people who give everything in order to have it all. Mm -hmm. But that's only a handful of stories, and the reason I say that is because nobody's televising the story or documenting the story of people who are giving their all and hitting rock bottom mm-hmm. and living purposeless for the rest of their life or, or or dying or killing themselves, whatever. Nobody's telling that story. Nobody likes to hear that story. Mm-hmm. But that actually does happen to people. And for a good year and a half, I had a lot of doubts. And I really questioned whether that was going to be my story or not. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, I when I, after I came back from New York, I was like, okay, I have to just be okay with just working a job and not dreaming so much because I got to the point where like my visions of what my life, of, of what I, I wanted my life to look like and, and what I was hoping for were just too painful to put any energy into. And I was just like, you know what? I just have to enjoy these little moments in life. Like I didn't really feel like I was connecting with anyone. I felt really alone. I felt like without purpose, felt super isolated, um, and those are two different things. You can you can feel alone and be around people, but then you can actually be isolated apart from community, and that's a completely different feeling. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes.
1: I, I kind of lost track of, of my thoughts there. Sorry. Yeah, no.
0: Um, my, co- my original question was, Why did you say that it was stupid of you that, um, you know, you just, I guess you, yeah, you, you went on the dreaming route and then just worked your ass off and then you were hoping it doesn't work out. But according to your answer, was that like, that's not the whole story that, that's get picked up. Like a lot of time. I mean, there are times where people lose hope because they lose on their ideas. Right. So Then my next question would be like, so you you obviously have that moment where you had to kind of like, you know, uh, really do more thinking about what you wanted and then redefine your purpose and everything, right? And then as you were describing, it was painful experience and then you felt isolated and you really, right? So what do you think um, gave you, so during that time, what made you to become faithful again about you know you it's okay to dream it's okay to because i guess fundamentally this is a very interesting question because this is my whole theme of the life of education tv is predicated on where i recognize the same struggle too i think as we age we tend to lose hope we tend to be critical yeah. we tend to break. and yeah. it, it totally makes sense but like I just find it more beautiful, and I think it's actually a strength when you are able to keep dreaming in life right and I think that's a skill, yeah that's a hardcore skill and for example, I have this quote um that I live by uh, where you know nobody teaches us in school, nobody teaches us how like learn how to dream right like that's not our teacher says when we first right. But I think it's so important when you're in an early age, like you you should probably do the most risky, like the risky thing. And then you, you yeah. should work so that you know how to dream. I think that's yeah. very important. Um, but I'm just trying to pick up your brain of like how, so basically you, you were at this very low point of your life. And then how did you, I guess, come to another point of life where you kind of started noticing that well, I mean, yeah, I did fail. But, you know, staying within the corporate rather whatever really isn't resonating with my story. Like, that's not who I am again. So I have to really like, because now you have your own company, you have published a book and, you know, everything like that. Like, how did you uh, overcome that time where you had a really heavy self-doubt?
1: Yeah, um, definitely a lot of grace for sure um, it was a, it was a really tough time um, i so there 's something called the parable of the talents i don 't know if you 've ever heard of it it 's a parable about um, like what you 're being given, and we 're all given different things according to our capacity and it 's not so much like culture thinks it 's super honorable. Uh, it's, it's more honorable if you're given more and you steward it well to 100% of your ability. So the parable of the talents is that, and I just want to run through it real quick because I'm going to tie this in. Wait. There were three, three servants and a master, like a landlord, like a master. And the landlord said he was going away for a year, and he gave one servant five talents, which a talent was equivalent to about a year's wage in that time. So he was given five years' wages over the course of one year. And there was another servant who was given two talents. And then the third servant was given one talent. And he said, I'll be back in a year, do with my, uh, like make a return on my money. So he comes back after a year and he talks to the first servant. And he said, "Um, I took the five talents that you gave me and I was able, able to make another five. So I have 10 now. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one, he said, I took the two talents that you gave me and I made two more. So now I have four. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The third servant comes up to the landlord and says, I knew you to be a harsh man. So I buried your money in the ground and now I dug it back up. Here it is. And he said, you're wicked and you're lazy. You didn't steward what I gave to you. Why didn't you at least put it in the bank? And that sounds harsh, but it's actually a testament of what we're given from the very beginning so both you and I are very creative individuals very entrepreneurial and it doesn't matter what corporate setting we're, we're, we're fixed in we still think that way we're not jammed in by the confines of corporate structure and that's why we're having this conversation right now so we still get a choice to use the gifts that we were given to impact other people because ultimately what those talents are are units of influence that we're able to use in other people's lives so i really had to look at my own story i had to look at my own life and i had to figure out who i was because if i didn't know who i was i didn't know what i was given and for me it was the first time i had ever actually looked at my life and said okay and will I survive if I don't build this alternative energy company and get in the transportation sector and do this, that, and the other? Because that was all I had dreamed about. And, um, and I, I knew what I wanted to do since I was a little kid. I wanted to design cars, and this was the perfect outlet for that. I went to school for mechanical engineering. Like, everything just seemed to add up perfectly. It was the story that I didn't see coming. It was, it was the events that I didn't see coming that changed everything that allowed me to create more outside of what I had fathomed for myself. And in doing that, say, I was given two talents, in doing that, I was producing a talent that I didn't even know I had.
0: That's very deep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, uh, I'm
0: gonna move to the next question here. Okay, so next one is let me see. So next one is mentors. Let's talk about mentors. Um, I'm sure that oh, oh sorry, I'm sure that like throughout your journey you you know you had time where you had to uh, network with other uh, business individuals. Yeah and I know this is something that you talk heavily about in, in your book as well, right? Can you tell me, um, is it necessary to have a mentor if you want to succeed? And how do you network with mentors?
1: I don't know if it's necessary, but it is definitely super helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my uh, mentors didn't come from networking as much as it did just from asking questions. The more I ask questions there are always people out there who are extremely wise and have a lot of experience who are just waiting for people with less experience to ask them questions. They want to teach. Some people are teachers by nature and they're not in the school system. They might be like, for example, when I worked in the fashion industry, I worked directly under a senior vice president, the senior vice president of the business of, of sales. And I was just asking her questions constantly. So she was showing me the corporate world that I, was, I would never have been able to see even if I would have spent 20 years trying to work my way up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my personal mentors growing up, it was just from asking questions about school, um, asking questions about uh, different areas of academics and, and how I could use the gifts that I had to apply it to the world of academia. And um, I, I still get to call him and, and talk to him. Um, I just called him when I released my book and he thought it was hilarious because I was terrible at English and grammar and writing growing up. So, you know, it's like you're building, you're, you're building not only emotional, uh, emotionally beneficial relationships with these people, but you're building deep intellectual relationships with them because they're sharing things that people have to pay for it a lot of the times.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned wise. How do you define wise people? What is wise?
1: I think it's an accumulation of understanding, experience, um, intellect, never stopping the learning process. Always curious about everything else and never thinking that they're wiser than they are. Um, for, for any individual, I should say. Um, like you're, you're truly wise when you, when you don't think you're wiser than you are. Because even if you don't know much, that's the beginning of understanding. And things are so subject to change so frequently. Um, there's not too many ultimate truths in the world. Um, a lot of people think there are, a lot of people think the way they live their life is the ulti- is their ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can get really subjective when you look at life like that. And to think that you have it all figured out when somebody else is living a completely different life and they're extremely I should say, I, I don't want to say successful, but their life is extremely rich mm-hmm. and rewarding to look at their life and to not take into consideration that they're doing something right is, is foolish. So I think it's accumulation and also being an accumulation of of understanding and and, um, experience but also uh, discernment because as you have more experiences, you become more uh, aware of what the root issues of experiences or situations are, and you can quickly identify that problem.
0: Mm. do you do you think that it's important for us to know how to control our our emotion like is it one of the characteristics we should have as a successful person
1: i yeah i don't think you should so growing up with a psychologist this is a really interesting question um emotions are almost like a check engine light in the car um like, you shouldn't be driven to action by your emotions, but you should begin to look in within yourself as to why that emotion is going off. And then as soon as you can identify what's causing that emotion to go off, then you can come come up with a proper answer. And there's not always going to be it's, – it's not going to be like that every time where you can't just – like, you have to stop and reflect and things. Sometimes your emotions will drive you to action. Um, so – yeah, I think, I think that's important I see. because you're not making as a leader, you're not making rash decisions.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Is there any tip you want to give to people or any sort of, you know, tactic or method you use to, I guess, control your emotion?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, at least for me, it's taking a step back from the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, even just for, we talked earlier about either partnering with doubt or partnering with anticipation, mm-hmm. uh, like hopeful expectation. And sometimes you have to take a step back and, and you can't partner with that emotion. Because as soon as you partner with that emotion, it causes an emotional response to evoke. Mm, I see. Okay, so
0: I'm going to move on to my final question. Oh okay so we're both young we're both both very young and like to me one of the struggles sometimes i have is i'm too inexperienced so i feel like people might not take me as seriously because i'm very young or something like this right like do you have that fear and how do you fight against that if you do
1: yeah um this was I thought I had like overcome this by the time I graduated, but when I was applying for jobs and i wasn 't getting anything, mm-hmm. and people kept telling me i was uh, i wasn't qualified enough for the position, i got it it was super frustrating because I started to get super bitter, and I was like, I know things that you don't know, <laughs> and that 's not a good place to be like it might have been true, but it was more of like an emotional response and I couldn't be the best me. I couldn't offer all that I had if I was in that, in that place, in that state of mind. So um, I think one of the big things is just understanding who you are regardless of what other people say. And the reason I say that is because a lot of the times it's the testing ground to see whether you actually know who you are. The more resistance you're getting in your identity and who you think you are, the more it's being hammered in. It's like a foundation. And anytime you're breaking off. So for me, like I was, uh, I I didn't have a, a stable foundation of understanding who I was every time I got bitter angry. Like I know more, like, how could you say I'm underqualified? Like I've worked with presidents before. Like, what is this? And every time I responded, in that way, it showed me that I had a crack in my foundation of understanding who I was. So that's the that's probably the biggest um, way to combat that because it's not like it's not going to happen in the future. It is. But you also have to understand that anyone who has more experience, is older, is wiser, who isn't going to listen to somebody who's younger than them or less experienced than them or... Or who has less influence because influence is a big thing right now, is a big topic right now, is a fool. Because that's saying, I know everything. I know how to control my life. I know how to make decisions that are best for me. It's foolish. Relationships offer insight to problems that we don't have answers to.
0: Right. What, are you saying that the person who's not willing to accept insight's is a fool or the person who's with side?
1: Yeah, the person who's not willing to accept mm. insight from somebody else mm. is foolish.
0: Right, because they're kind of like fixated on where they are.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: yeah. So what is, how can we use this as our advantage? How can we be, what's the right attitude here? Like for someone young, who's like willing to learn from other people as well but also like have a genuine, authentic confidence about our capability?
1: Um, hmm. I think, uh, I, I think being willing to learn from other people, particularly when you're young, can be one of the greatest strengths that you have because, you're, rather than accumulating knowledge from just a teacher, you're accumulating knowledge and experience from all those around you, whether young or old, um, educated or not, experienced or not. Um, Sometimes people just have perspectives or insights on things that they might not have had much experience in, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And to be able to... Welcome that and then, um, like, chew on that and discern whether or not it's true or applicable to your own life is one of the greatest strengths that we can use because we're not in the corporate world per se. We're accumulating knowledge and we're spreading it again. So it's like we're taking on water to share with other people rather than, you know, uh, drinking it ourselves. And that is a strength that. Uh, people in our position can uh, can utilize
0: i guess i have one more question even though i said it was the last question
1: um yeah
0: how what's your approach to i guess how do you do you try to prove yourself that you're right person to someone else like do you think because that's not right approach right like that's not by any means that's Right, Right. you should always follow your own truth. But like, you know, with interact, with everyday interaction and with so much opportunity chances where we need to coexist with, you know, 7.8 billion other people in this world, like, how can you kind of like, what's your attitude around that where you have to coexist with others? And then why? keeping your own truth and being true to yourself while other people having their own opinions? Like, you know, basically, you know, everybody try to prove themselves that they are the right one. Yeah. They know their answers. Like, how, can, how do you navigate this world?
1: Yeah, so that's, a, that's an identity question. Um, and the reason I say that is because when you really know who you are, you don't have to prove yourself. Let's just say like, uh, I wanna give a hypothetical here just to make this a little clearer. Say um, you're the daughter of like a billionaire and nobody believes you. You're just, you know, traveling a- around the world. You're, you're doing things on your own. You know that your dad is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. You don't have to try to prove that to people even if people don't believe it. Right because inherently, you know, it's true. You are the daughter of that person. It's the same way with our gifts. Um, and that's why discovering who we, who we are and who we are designed to be, who we were meant to be, all of our gifts is extremely important. And I know it sounds kind of cryptic, like what is my identity or like that sounds super vague, but I can't be any more specific on it because it's so individualized for each person. And if, people aren't willing to discover who they are what their identity is then it doesn't matter that much to them but if it's really that important then they're going to search until they find who they are and it's not through other people a lot of the times it's not it's not through the perspective or the lens of other people because sometimes our greatest assets are the things that people um like really try to notch back like very highly analytical intellectual people, sometimes in your closest relationships you 'll hear people say, "Oh, you overthink things way too much. It may be true from their perspective, but that also might be a gift that 's solving a problem that hasn 't yet been solved so the, as soon as as soon as we try to prove who we are we 're handing over the power of um, the power that we hold in our identity to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, that's a scary, that's a scary place.
0: Mm, I agree. I think, I guess this is one of the thing I also talk, talk about in my book where I talk about like how it's okay to accept you, your flaw included. And when you are yeah. really able to accept that as a package, like you have a good side, bad side, both. Like you, you when you are able to accept that, that really kills your insecurity. That really kills the yeah. space for someone else to come in and say like you're this and this and this and then i would be like yeah i am but i love myself <laughs> yeah and i think that's a very powerful uh move to do i think um then you don't have to necessarily lose faith in yourself right um yeah so yeah that's very powerful well Nick Nico, thank you very much for coming today. And before I close this conversation, I want you to tell us where people can find you. And also your book is coming up. Well, it's already probably out now. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So I'm kind of a social ghost. Um, I'm on here on Instagram at Nicolas DeGrange. And then I also have a LinkedIn, which is also Nicolas DeGrange. If you want to connect with me there, uh, like corporately. Um, The book is called The One Who Follows, and uh, it's under my author name, N.C. DeGrange, uh, because I guess that's what authors do, abbreviate their first two letters. (laughs) Um, So that's that's on Amazon Worldwide.
0: Mm